For November 16th, 2020, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 646. Grind, temperature, and time. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. I'm Matt Rather, and my smart, funny friend is Pete Fenzel. Hey, Pete. Hi, Matt. You're so kind. Oh, that's a, I, I, you're one of very few people in my life who have called me that, but I appreciate that as well. You're very kind. We, we have a unique relationship, Gus and Mark, right? Among, <laughs> among our friends. I don't do this with a lot of people. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually true. I was, you know, I, I got a text. Uh, sorry, this is not what we plan to talk about, but I got a text from a high school friend the other day. Um, someone who I worked with, uh, briefly actually at, at a company where I worked before COVID layoffs. Uh, as an engineering manager and the, the software engineering manager and the, and um, this person uh, was like, is it just me or is everyone avoiding me? And I was like, yo dog, everyone's avoiding everyone. <laughs> Like it is not, uh, just for, for whatever reason, especially for, you know, especially for introverts, just the, the, the stuff in, the, the just the the psychic lift you know the emotional and psychic lift of having to like communicate with someone outside of my my little pod here um which includes an apartment with two humans and a cat and a dog uh like it it's just it seems unmanageable it seems it seems unbearable um to have to do and that like the forces operating on us seem to be pushing us into uh at least my experience of them seem to be like pushing us into further isolation you know and so like it's not i i you know it's not a time for i don't know taking up bowling or something it's a, you know what i mean it's not i don't it's not a time where i feel uh the kind of the firm footing of like wanting to strike out and do something new or like be very social um you know, and, and the fact that we have this sort of appointment, we have this like appointment conversation, uh, every week is, is unique, not just among our group of friends, but kind of unique in my life, social and otherwise social life, family life, uh, right now. So yeah, absolutely. We do have kind of a, we have a particular, we have a particular thing going. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Sorry, it was that was that not clear. I really try to I try to like bring the tone up when I'm in the middle of a point and when I'm done bring the tone down to like give it and try to give a few little steps so that you know that it's coming. Fair enough. I was referring more to the intimacy of having podcasted with you for all these years, which is a peculiar and unique sort of intimacy. But uh yeah, sure. Also also to be strapped to this particular jetty in the uh, tossing triangular waves of contemporary storm right so is uh is, is another way in which it is different than other things yeah it's it, absolutely it's um yeah well it's uh it's uh it's half half entertainment and half therapy for us so what's, <laughs> a, what's on your mind Pete? what's a, well okay, okay what have so you been what have actually, you been, what have you been is- thinking about since our last session <laughs> So this is an actual, this is a storied two-hander, I'll say, right off the jump. Uh-huh. That's a new phrase for me, off the jump. I hope I'm getting it right. And I have a particular topic I wanted to jump into with you because I have a strong suspicion that this is a topic, a cultural topic, that you know a lot more about than I do. Sure. Right? So – there, One, there, I'm sure there are so few of those that like it's it's it's, it's all a, French presses all it's, the time. It's, <laughs> there, it's it's coffee or or yeah or uh, I don't know something having to do with John Milton, the uh, unsurpassed the author of the unsurpassed and unsurpassable greatest. It's work funny because I'm in that like 95th percentile <laughs> with John Milton, so you would think that most of the time. But yeah, no. you're right up there. You're yeah, it's true. It's you're you're right up there. But this is a pop culture podcast, and this is a particular cultural element that I think has a pop popular dimension maybe popular with a lowercase p maybe popular with an uppercase p or maybe ought to have a more popular dimension something and then i want to get into that and hear your thoughts on that a little bit but i will start by first off saying 
that I will be speaking and talking to you about this, about my experience as a parent, which has been dominating my life over the course of the last six and a half months, right? Sure. I have this little baby, right? And a lot of what I do, I do with this little baby. It's that and Dungeons and Dragons and you guys for the most part. Uh, you know, obviously, and my wife, but she's present for most of these things. And uh, and so I've been doing something with my baby. And I will say, do not take my word as a recommendation for what you're supposed to do with your baby. As I've mentioned on the podcast, I think before, uh, we have two rules uh, in our home in, in terms of explaining the, the experience of parenting. Uh, rule number one is it's a baby. Right. So if it's doing something and you're like, oh, why? Why is it doing something? Uh, it's a baby. Right. They're a baby. Uh, they're going to do a whole bunch of unpredictable things. They don't speak English. They can't understand you. They're very confused. They don't know why they're doing it either. Right. So, like, don't become overly invested in the notion that they're doing things for particular reasons or you need to figure them out. They're a baby. And two, everybody lies. Right. If you hear any advice from anybody at the very le- at the very best, it, it's, it is inadequate or in the in uh, in an adequate context to fully apply to your own situation. So please take those provisos into account before I jump into this topic. And by the way, if you can guess what the topic is now, you must be psychic because I've made no allusion to it in my ramble. Pause, yeah, pause the pause the podcast. Write some <laughs> write something down write something on a piece down. of paper. What do you think I'm talking about? Commit, yes. commit to it now. I'll say this: it's about communicating with my son. It is what this is, the subtopic. So, yeah. So now write down your guess. You can read minds. <laughs> no, he's a baby. Okay. So when you're dealing with a very – now, this is a little bit of a journey. So please come on this little journey with me, Matthew. I, I hope you I hope you will. Let's, you are invited. Let's let's set off. Let's set off on, on the gratus ad parnassum. So <laughs> – the, the uh, parnassum. Um, <laughs> so you have a new baby. The new baby isn't really sleeping, can't hold his, his – in this case, it's a him. I'm going to use a him because I'm talking about my son. Um, and obviously, if at some point in his life, you know, there's a gender thing and he changes whatever, it's fine. I don't mind it. But for, for simplicity's sake and for uh, kind of opening the door into our lives, I'll be referring to my son as a he <laughs> and, and to babies as they regard my son as a he. Uh, because that is my experience of, of this right now, but your mileage may vary. So I have this little baby, right? Newborn baby, very uh, difficult to relate to in any way, too young to play with, which is one of the most confounding things in my experience and for who I am about having this little baby is that the baby isn't really responsive to like baby things because they're just too small, right? And this is this is way back in the spring when 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 my son was just brand new and it was, you know, he was screaming a lot and and he couldn't sleep and and he was freaking out. Um and, and yeah, you know, you could you could do things that would make him happy and he was, you know, eating at a very kind of rapid uh regular schedule and it was one of those things where even there were even times where, you know, I would stay up all night or my wife would stay up all night and thankfully that didn't last too long, but it's a very brutal time. And in that time, you know, you're trading off sleeping, right, with with your spouse and or your 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 baby raising partner if you're lucky enough to have one. And, you know, they're off sleeping when you're awake and you're sleeping when they're awake and the times when you're both awake, you're total space cadets. Uh, and it's covid. So I have no friends, family, help, visitors, total solitude. Right. Um, and I'm sitting with this this kid. And I'm trying to connect with him in some way, right? I, I, I desperately need, because, you know, I'm still a human being, uh, some sort of feedback or validation from this child, right? Um, thankfully, babies do figure out how to do this pretty quickly, and they deliver it, you know, in giant in giant canvas sacks with dollar signs painted on the side, right? Like the bounty of positive affirmation that a baby gives you in exchange for attention can be just, just totally – uh, totally drowning, right? It can be it can be a very uh, powerful experience, and you get everything that you need. It's like mainlining validation when a baby smiles at you yeah, for, for, for sure. doing something. But so early on, I'm trying to connect to the baby, and I discover one thing that I think is generally true. But again, I won't vouch for it in a, in a court of law or nothing. Which is that babies are more responsive to song than they are to language a lot of the time. It's just words; they don't know words. Uh, and, but they will sometimes respond to tunes 
And sometimes even over the course of the first bunch of months, even if they can't necessarily remember a given tune and respond to it the same way in each time, they will eventually pick up and have favorite songs Mm. or they'll have songs that they respond to in certain ways and in a predictable way. So it sort of feels like it's something that they're remembering. Um, I used to, for example, uh, when I was I would spend probably about an hour, we would we would hand off shifts. Right. I would take an hour and then my wife would take an hour trying to put the baby to bed when the baby wouldn't sleep at first. And I would basically, I would hold him in my arms and I would kind of waltz around the room and I would hum the uh, Once Upon a Dream lyricization of the uh, Sleeping Beauty ballet, right? From the Disney movie, right? I know you, I walk with you once upon a dream. And I would just like do this over and over again for, you know, an hour um, until it was time to like hand the baby off to my wife and, and she would give it a shot. It was, it was a rough going for a while. Sidebar. Um, um yeah. th- lot of good lullabies in Disney movies from mm. when you wish upon a star to in Lady and the Tramp. Um, I think that has La La Lu in it. La La Lu, La La Lu, oh my little star sweeper, I'll sweep the stardust for you. La La Lu, La La Lu, and may love be your keeper. La La Lu, La La. And then Once Upon a Dream is another good one. I mean, it. Ref- I guess that's actually a waltz. That is like a dance, uh, dance tune. But like it, I don't know. It talks about dreaming or or stuff like that. A lot of good, good like uh, good sleepy time material. I mean, I guess the the films are made for children, and that would. You know that would seem to to correlate, right? Yeah, especially the the uh, earlyish stuff where I think the 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 sort of baseline experience you have not yet fully socialized children into a uh, into a hyper reality of primary colored furniture and and kind of re, you know child reality made for them quite yet, right? Disney is still an interior rather than an exterior to the lives of children, mm. and so there's this calming uh, presence. In a lot of the in a lot of the earlier Disney stuff that might be a little bit differently um, managed in the newer stuff. But yeah, so so there was a particular kind of moment I would have with with my son in the context of all this, which was when after when he was waking up in the morning, if it was my turn to go get him, I would get him. And then I would we had one of those um, sort of horseshoe shaped baby pillows. Uh, I think it's a it's not a Bjorn. It's a Boba Fett. I don't know what it is. I think it's uh, it is the way whatever it is. But it's a semicircular pillow. And I would put the baby down on the, on the semicircular pillow. There was like an infant version and a slightly older version. This is still the infant infant version. And at that point, he would be in a really good mood and he would be smiling at me. Right. And I'd be like, oh, this is the best. Right. This is the best best time all day. Um, you know, best best uh, validation I get for all this, this stuff that I'm going through is this moment here in the morning, you know, when, when my wife is still asleep and I'm alone with my son and he's smiling at me because either he recognizes me or I get to imagine that he recognizes me. And in this time I would, you know, try to communicate with him and I would talk to him. Uh, I, I sort of got the idea right after talking through it with my wife and, and some other reading, some other resources that, you know, it doesn't matter what I talk about. I could talk about anything. And so, you know, he can't understand any of it, but just having conversation and having eye contact is good for him. And what I found was that I would do this little game with him where I would do. Uh, and by the way, if you if you wrote down your guess, you're about to find out whether you were right or wrong. Mm. Um, I, w- I would do soul fedge with him. I would have him lie down on his back right on this little semicircular pillow and I would put my finger on his tummy. Right. And and I would go, do, re, mi, re, do, do, re, mi, fa, so, fa, mi, re, do, do, re, do, do, re. And I would just do that. And he would he would giggle. I mean, when he got old enough to giggle, he would giggle. He couldn't giggle yet when I first started doing it. He would just, you know, maybe smile and gurgle a little bit. But but there was a sense of him enjoying it or or getting that there was something happening. Right. I don't know whether it was one of those things where he couldn't figure out at first that it was a sequence. He couldn't figure out that the items were like related to each other, but he got the sense that sort of something was happening and then something different was happening and then something similar was happening. And there was some sort of cognitive interaction with Solfege. And what I mean by Solfege is like this this whole this verbal system of naming notes. 
right? And sort of singing notes as you name them and, and doing that for him and sort of using it as a way to kind of like spin off kind of endless anodyne melodies or like you would be fiddling with a keyboard or warming up on your trombone if you're me, right? Just playing random notes up and down the scale in different intervals and stuff like that. And since then, my relationship with Solfege and, and, and the baby has continued, right? And, and I've, I, of course, sing the Sound of Music song to him about Doe, a deer, a female deer, Ray, a drop of golden sun, which is a song about Solfege. Um, and I will, of course, punt to you to explain what the F it is and why we have it and what it's supposed to be accomplishing. I know it exists, right? I know I learned it when I was very young. I think they taught us those the the uh, the, the notes of the diatonic major, you know, main mode, straightforward Solfege scale when I was in like kindergarten or first grade and then never touched it again right like never never went back to it and explained what it was for um but you know i'm at the point now where i'll be singing to him um and uh and we one of the things that we now do because he's more sophisticated his brain has developed a lot his his head is a lot bigger um is uh uh i i when i am alone with him i put him in his high chair and i drag him uh, and I drag the high chair over, I put him in the high chair and I sit him by the coffee machine while I make my coffee in the morning. Mm. And I just talk to him at length about the process of making coffee. Oh right? yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm no, like, it's very, I mean, coffee. it's a, my God. Uh, so it's about making coffee, I guess is what we're, what we're talking about here. Yeah. Well, no, so, it's, about so, <laughs> it's really, it's really very important. There, there are three variables that you have, right? Like you have grind, you have time and you have temperature, you know, and those <laughs> then, are, I mean, these are the things that I would say to him that he can't understand, <laughs> uh-huh. but which he would, he has now got gobbling up because he appreciates that it's different from the same room that he's been stuck in yeah. for his entire life. Right. And, uh, like our living room is where he spent like a whole lot of his waking life. Um, and now he's in the dining room. Whoa, yeah. You know, that's fancy. Ooh. Um, oh man. And, uh, but also it's like a new thing. And the espresso machine, when I turn it on, makes this hum. It goes, uh-huh. And I harmonize with it to him, right? I go like do, do, re, mi, re, do, mi, re, mi, do, re, mi, mi, and it's going. And I'll, I'll do that. I'll go up to the fourth. I'll go up to the fifth. I'll go up to the sixth. I'll take it to the leading tone and up to the, up to do again. And while I'm spending this time making the espresso, I'm singing in solfege uh-huh. to my son. Yep. Um, and I do the couple of tricks that I know, right? Which is like you know. Do re mi fa so so do 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 right the sort of the familiar intervals that match the familiar songs the the fifth I, people talk about the fifth being Star Wars I think of the fifth as being the Superman theme by John Williams he loves loves those fifths I the fourth I think of as Legend of Zelda right it's like do re mi fa fa do da 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 da, da right and that's the theme to the Legend of Zelda. Um, and I mean, and the octave is is somewhere over the rainbow and all that stuff that you learn when you're studying scales and intervals and stuff. Yeah. Major, but I'm at major, the wall major now. six is my Bonnie lies over the ocean. Right, right, right. Or this uh, da 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 da. Right? Isn't that uh, is that gone with the wind? Uh, oh, also, but I don't know the music. But, the, the, but yeah, the, yeah, yeah, you learn all those tricks absolutely. Yeah, but I mean, so they're getting increasingly dated. So maybe one thing I can posit is: Can you think of new ones for people? But maybe yeah, I should have asked sure. For the some fifth, the, per- the perfect fifth from do to so is yeah. the is the like the first two notes of the whistle part in Billie Eilish's "Bad Guy." Da, <laughs> oh, okay. Da 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 do so do fi so fi me do so right. But sorry, oh, I'm, I'm getting it. a little advanced there. With, no, this with, is great. This, I think we, I think we owe it to our listeners to take it back to the back to the <laughs> basics and kind of tell them what's going on because I suspect a bunch of them have have only the kind of understanding of this that I have, if that, which is like the Doa Deer a female deer song is associated sure. with this series of notes that are associated with a scale that go Do Re Mi Fa Sol La Ti Do and and I've hit the wall. I have nothing else 
to talk about this with with my son. And I've tried to look it up and be like, well, can I do a minor scale? And it's like, oh, man, I, you know, you can, I guess, but I don't know. So, so, so help, well, you help can. a father out. There are three right? minors, there are three minor scales, but yeah, you can do all of them in, yeah. in Solfege, right? So, so what so, is Solfege? Why do I know what it is? So, so was I taught it? So, well, you, I, I don't know why you were taught it. I actually, so I learned Solfege when I was five. So when my brain thinks of music naturally, I think in Solfege, which is, a mixed blessing, uh, which, you know, which I'll get to, but solfege is, uh, you know, what do you call the notes, right? So, you know, uh, our scale, our, our 12 note, um, our, you know, whatever, whatever it is, uh, heptatonic major and minor scales or our 12 note do deca, do deca, do, do, do decatonic or something like that. The, the, uh, 12 note, chromatic scale right is this mathematical compromise um because you know note pitches are based on frequencies um you know and if you if you you can probably see this like it's good to see this visually if you pluck a string and the string vibrates at 440 uh, hurts half of the string because it's going back and forth. Whoop. If you look at it in slow motion, whoop, 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 right? You can sort of put a dot at the middle point and see that the top half is vibrating at 880 hertz, you know, and the bottom half is vibrating at 880 hertz. And then you can do further subdivisions of the string and realize that based on this, you know, kind of fundamental motion, there are other, uh, there are, are other portions of the string that are at the same time happen to be vibrating in mathematical ratios, uh, of this just based on the physical properties of the string and things like that. Those create overtones. So a note is not just one note. Uh, a note is a whole, um, you know, a whole kind of stack of, uh, a whole stack of notes. Same, same way that you wouldn't, uh, you know, you wouldn't just pull on the tricep ma- machine with, uh, with no plates on it. You know, the tricep machine isn't just a rope, you know, isn't just like a V shaped rope, you know, it's a whole stack. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's like pulling on the tricep machine with no elbows. <laughs> like, why can't your forearms just pull the pull the rope by itself? It's like, well, the forearm, the, the hand bones connected to the arm bone, the arm bones connected to the shoulder bone, <laughs> and that's the way it goes, right? Yeah, that's right, and that so like so based on these overtones, right? We get the other notes in the scale because they're all up there in some form or in some form or fashion. Right. And, and the, you know, the fundamental one, uh, uh, it sort of, I think it, what it repeats the same note and then the fifth, uh, and then the same, then the octave again, and then the third, the fifth and the octave, and then the third, the fifth, something like the minor seventh or something like that. Uh, there's probably YouTube explainers that are, that are better at this, but then, so then these, these lead to, certain pitches, you know, if you take them all out of their respective octaves and smoosh them down, right, into one octave, you know, you end up you end up with something along the lines of da 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 da. And what do you what do you call that? Right? Because when you want to communicate about music, you know, uh this sort of system Oh, and, and then there are like some, there's some mathematical compromises in our current system of tuning that we use so that, um, you know, we can play in all 12 keys. We can play in, in, we can play melodies that sort of start and end at each of those 12 notes rather than a piano being only to, pl- only able to play in one or two one or two keys um we kind of compromise where those those uh where we tune those those frequencies to and we end up with we end up with 12 right so what do you call them you know one way of naming them is starting at the bottom of the piano and let's just give them letter names so start at a at the bottom of the piano and a b c d e f g and then repeat a b c d e f g a b c d e f g a b c d e f g all the way up and then the the Black notes on the piano, we'll call those sharp and flat, depending on whether you're going up from a note or whether you're going down, uh, whether you're going down from a note. So that's, that's another way, uh, that's one way of doing it. There are alternative ways. And, and by the way, we're talking about 
we're talking about Western music here, right? Like there are yeah. uh, huge musical traditions, you know, affecting the the majority of people on earth, right? That, that don't, uh, that have completely other histories and kind of completely other, uh, uh, notional systems for talking about, um, talking about music. And I am not an expert in, in any of those, but they, they also like, uh, uh, they're super fascinating and can be like can be used like in in certain like certain ragas for example are only appropriate to certain times of the day or they're associated right and it, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be interesting where it's like from six thirty to eight right you play the octatonic diminished scale starting on D flat or something like that right <laughs> like that and that's that's appropriate for like forty five minutes and then you you switch to another scale seems fascinating to me right like uh, but it's not the tradition I I came up in. So another way uh, another way of doing it stretches back to um, Italy uh, around I'm gonna say around a thousand A.D. So like uh, medieval medieval Europe and giving each of the each of the notes rather than you know names of in the rather than names from the Roman alphabet giving them a syllable to to identify them and the syllables are based on a particular the lyrics to a particular chant uh the text of a particular chant that had a melody where each phrase started on the next note up the scale so you know i i don't a- actually know the chant but da 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 you know so that the this that's how this melody was constructed and the syllable on of the first the kind of the entrance of that note and the first in its phrase got they got compiled into this um set of seven syllables and they were oot re mi fa sol la and si C S I, what we call T, is um uh initials actually for for uh Sancte Johannes. <laughs> so <laughs> so that's uh yeah. So we there are kind of historical things that happen and we call them do re mi fa so la T and Do in at least in the tradition that I was brought up in. I think in in certain romance countries it's still uh Faso La C. I don't know. Someone, someone from a romance country in the in the comments will actually me um, a little bit. So it's a system. It's a, so solfege is a system for naming notes. That is an alternative system to the to start with a at the bottom of the keyboard and just count up uh, count up in groups of seven. There are two ways to do it. Um, one is you make equivalences with the letter names of the notes so that do always means C, like the, the pitch class, you know, C, uh, Ray always means D, me always means E and so on. So, uh, C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. I have no idea if I'm in tune. So, uh, you know, that, but, uh, that like, we auto tune uh, every podcast, right, Matt? We welcome to overthinking it. Um, that I, I don't know what scale that was or what time of day it's appropriate for. Probably none. Uh, yeah. So, but the other, the other way of doing, um, of doing solfege is to put do on the tonic note, the root note of every key. So if you're playing a song in the key of D, do will be D. If you're playing a song in the key of F, do will be F. And this is how I was taught. And it makes it, um, you know, it makes it possible to talk about relationships, to talk about music as a set of relationships. Um, and that, that actually is not a terrible definition. Music is a set of relationships that changes through time. Uh, and that you, you know, you have three things, Pete, you have grind, you have temperature and you have time, right? And uh, music is, uh, music is, uh, uh, adjusting each of those as it, as it moves through the dimension of time. So that's like, um, right. So, so that's, so rather than like thinking, uh, thinking of the melody of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, uh, at, in, which I sing to my son every night when I put him to bed. Oh, really? We, we oh, that's, that's good. The, that's his lullaby that we sing to him. The there is the there is one alternative lullaby. Have I mentioned this on the podcast yet? 
I feel like I'm really trotting out a whole bunch of really intimate personal stuff here. Super, um, yeah, super personal details. But that, but Twinkle Twinkle Little Stars will be good to be getting on with because you can imagine, you know, singing it in different keys, right? Let's sing it in F, like F, F, C, C, D, D, C, B flat, B flat, A, A, G, G, F. Okay, let's do it in E flat, E flat, E flat. I, I think that's relatively right, even if I'm out of tune. This, this e is the beginning of Happy Birthday, where I'm like, okay, are we all? Where's going on? <laughs> start on C. Always yeah. start Happy Birthday on the note C. Just play it in F. Just I play can't do look, man. I have relative pitch. I don't have absolute pitch. I don't know where C is. Uh, I e got the map quest directions printed out in the seat next to me, but I'm driving, so I can't look at them. All right, <laughs> I don't know where C is. Look, look. When we're driving, you have to tell me not just the next, the name of the next turn, but how long it's going to be. We missed the last two turns because it was just one block. And that was my first adult relationship. <laughs> e flat, learn, B flat, B flat, B flat, C, C, B flat, A flat, A flat, G, G, F, F, E flat, right? But it's the same melody. So I'm singing these different note names because they are, in point of fact, different notes, but that's an implementation detail, right? That doesn't get at the underlying relationships that change through time. So let's sing it in G. Da 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 da. G, G, uh, this is G in my imagined tuning, right? So G, but let's use solfege and put do on G. Do, do, so, so, la, la, so, fa, fa, mi, mi, re, re, do. All right, let's do it in E flat. Da, da, dum, uh, E flat. Do, do, so, so, la, la, so, fa, fa, mi, mi, re, re, do. And we've, we've discovered something, right? Which is that even though, the notes, the actual pitch classes are different. The set of relationships in that melody remains the same, even though right. one we start on G and the other, the other we start on E flat. So this is the very good thing about, about knowing solfege is that you, you can, like, I can transpose like it's nothing because, um, I learned initially as a structure of relationships. I, I will say, I mean, maybe this is just me and my hang up because I learned it as a kid. I associate it with sort of childish things, right? That you have to mm-hmm. put away. And when I started playing in bands, you know, and I, I had trouble translating to the letter names and I wanted to use Soulfish, uh, because it was just my natural mode of communicating, um, musical stuff. Uh, and look, we met in a marching band and like talking then, then like talking about like concert pitch and, you know, d- you know, p- trumpets in B flat and, and saxes in E flat. And stuff like that. Like that was a whole other kind of head thing for me because I had not written for, I had been a, you know, a jazz guy, like, and, and had been used to playing in a rhythm section where we just talked about where we were just talked in concert pitch. So like I've had kind of like evolutions, you know, through this in, in, in being a musician, but the, uh, but the kind of the, the way it is in my head is uh, is really always soulfish and and has always been and no matter the melody I kind of hear it that way first. So to break this down even more for the folks who are closer to my level on this, uh, um, what I'm thinking of is the time when you sit down to look at a piece of music, whether it's you know something that you're trying to read for the first time or something that you've you've got to play for some reason for school or for whatever else. And you're, you look at the notation, you see all the sharps, you see all the flats. One of the things that you have to wrap your head around that's very basic, but it's still very tricky is um, that when, that when you're in a particular key, as that is right, what's what something like solfege does is it preserves the distances between the different notes and moves everything it sort of picks it up it picks up all of it and moves all of it so when you're looking at the notation it has all the sharps it has all the flats it has all the different markers on it if you're thinking of the music in terms of solfege then you don't care about any of that because you just care where do is and you could if you know where do is you can find where ray is and and so on a piano those things would be a whole step apart which would mean that you would have to either cross from one white key past a black key to another white key or from a black key over a white key to another black key. Or if there's no black key between two white keys, you have to go one white key, the other white key, and then the black key. There's sort of the distance of one full step is preserved in the relationship between Do and Re, even if 
were you to play the same dots on the page. And again, I'm taking this even back to, you know, very thinking about how I thought about it when I was a kid. Also, if you're looking at just the dots on the page, it doesn't give you that help, right? You have to look at the staff on the left and, and adjust it in real time, how you're thinking about each dot that you're playing because of that sort of big framework that anchors all the notes to these letters that kind of live at these set frequencies, right? As opposed to having a way of thinking about the music kind of flowing up and down and the intervals and the distances and the harmonies that, that can start anywhere, uh, that can start in any pitch, uh, right? And, and so it's, it's so I can sit down with, with, you know, with, with my son and not worry about what key I'm in, but I guess I wasn't going to do that anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, See, but wherever it's comfortable for your voice, you know, that's right, a, right, right. Yeah. So, so I mean, that, that just the whole notion of transposition mm-hmm. as an element of Western music is something that is you first you think you get it and then you don't. And then you think you get it and you don't. And then you think you get it and you really don't. And eventually you figure out why you don't get it. Right. I think it's sort of my, my feeling of it. Right. About about moving a piece. The idea that every particular segment of music that you're playing in a traditional western style maybe not a whole song because these modulate and stuff but it has a note that defines the relationships that is the root right and and as you were describing all those overtones which you can think of as half of a string or the sort of natural resonances that come up if you've ever played a trumpet or a bugle or a trombone as i have right where it's Mm -hmm. like when those all those songs, all those trumpet fanfares that, that are all based off of these overtones because it's the natural mathematical subdivisions that fit in the same length of pipe, right? In the same string, uh, and all and all that stuff. Um that, that seems to sort of constrain and shape some of the more uh like like songs that are easy to play on harmonica, right? You're like, oh I can play amazing <laughs> I can play Amazing Grace on the harmonica. That's because there are mathematical relationships between the notes in Amazing Grace that are convenient for these sort of flowing out and flowing in of wind over these metal these metal bars, but they're also convenient for a whole bunch of other physical objects that make sound when they're vibrated. Uh, and that's kind of foundational to Western music. But to, but just the idea that like in a given song, you you can change each song is in its own key is kind of the first thing that I learned. And then, of course, the song can change keys. And what does that mean? And then from there, you go to the idea of like uh, of cadences and, and the idea that you kind of you, you change chords as well as keys right over the course of a piece of music. And then you get past that. And it's like, oh, yeah, by the way you're either going down that road and you're learning kind of all of them or you're going the other road and you're like, oh, by the way, you know, the notion that all the notes are always static and the same as they're written down is a fiction, right? And it's something that we we use as a shorthand. But in reality, every mus- every musical instrument that's being played is going to experience the sharps and flats in different places. I'm sorry, my mind is kind of strolling to catch up. So, so with all that in mind, right, where – so solfege <laughs> – <laughs> First of all, why is it called solfege? What does solfege even mean? Solfege, um, it's, it's from the two syllables, so and fa. So as why sol those two? Spo- why don't they call it do re? <laughs> that's, that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> um, the, uh, yeah, the, the, it just so happens that it's called in, in Italian solfeggio, uh, based on those, based on those two syllables, you know? Okay, I mean, it's just it's just the way it is. Yeah, it just, ha- just it just happened to happen that way. It's a, it's a historically contingent phenomenon. So, if you're doing a piece, let me ask you a couple of questions about how I can spice up my solfege. Oh, got it. Uh, game with my with my son here. So, if you're doing a piece, you're singing something, and you want to modulate. Is there any way that you do? You just change where the words are. Where, how do you handle modulation in solfege? Yeah, you start. You do a new do, and okay. the que- the question is the que- it's it's an interesting question when you switch right mm-hmm. so modulations in in the kind of music that we're talking about are generally prepared right like so there's there's often a pivot harmony yeah. that works in the original key and in the new key that is kind of your bridge to the new to the new tonal center to the new kind of center note that's going to define everything right and that like uh so do you start at the beginning of that do you start um uh uh you know like do you sing uh 
do 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 la do re 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 do 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 ti la so mi fa or do you do <laughs> i just live it on a prayer okay, okay yeah. all right all right, all right. <laughs> it's a modulation i'm thinking like oh man do i know anything by the uh chain smokers that i can do what's what's not ancient that i can so, come up with right exactly no it's it's living on a prayer right it's the yes. it's you live for the fight when that's all that you got or do you go do 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 la do ti 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 do 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 ti la so right like so where where do you decide you're going to start using the language of the new key where do is the new tonal center and where do you decide that that you're going to stop using language of of the old key and like it it can mean different things to do it in different places it's it, like a lot of things it's going to come down to sort of judgment call and a, and a sense of like when you hear arrival you know and what you really hear the preparatory uh material as being and that is that is subjective you know so it's not I, i'm afraid there there isn't really a hard and fast rule but in what we're talking about a movable dough system um you move the dough uh you know and that's uh that's not a um that's not a call to take your money out of traditional investments and put it in bitcoin or something like that you don't <laughs> don't move the dough metaphorically <laughs> no, yeah, the the, the well, syllables welcome are. Welcome to the new Overthinking at Crypto <laughs> podcast, where we talk about all the places we're putting our dough these days. Yeah, so I've been thinking about putting my dough up here. Do re mi, do re I'm thinking maybe that's a high risk, high reward situation. So um, so yeah, that you, you, you move the dough and, and just kind of when you do that, there's, there is a kind of a gray area in which you can sort of go either way when you modulate. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. So, so then if I'm Do-kay. singing like, cause I love songs that have big corny modulations and we've written about them, you know, key changes and we've uh, written yeah. about the podcast before, like, you know, uh, you know, baby, baby, baby. Although I shouldn't say that because then they're talking about touching a baby and that's not what the song is about. Um, so you got to be careful. Songs take on new meaning when you sing them to babies. I will tell you this right now. And some songs can tear, bear the burden easily and some of them do not. Uh, so like, you know, I know you, I walk, whilst we I walk with you once upon a dream is, is a romantic song originally, but it works. I mean, at least the amount of the words that I remember and say work really well in talking to a baby because it's the sort of idea of like, you know, you don't know me, I don't know you, but I kind of feel like I've known you all my life. Like there's this poetry to it. It's a different relationship, but you can kind of co-op and use a lot of the same language. Um, yeah, there's a there's a continuum in love songs, right? From the platonic to the let's say the carnal, and the the you know what you're going to repurpose for for your baby is going to be like a little more leaning towards the platonic. So, like another another example of a different genre is the one of the other big things I've been doing lately is a lot of yard work, and so on Saturday I had the baby in his little fleece bear uh, zip up kind of uh, wintry garb onesie jacket thing. Uh, with little ears in his stroller, right, um, sitting next to me while I was raking together a giganto pile of leaves mm. and putting the leaves into paper bags, which is a new thing for me. We didn't have to do that in New Jersey, but here in, in Massachusetts, now that I have a house with a yard, I have to put the leaves in bags to be picked up. And so, of course, what do I naturally sing to the baby while I'm doing this? The leaves in the bags go in the bags. Oh, I like the way you work it. No digging. <laughs> oh, got I it. I like to bag it up, bag it up, right? It's the only song I know about bagging it up, right? <laughs> oh, got it. I like and to I, bag it up. And it has all sorts yeah. of things in it that are very baby-friendly. Hey, ya, uh, hey, ya, uh, hey, ya, uh, hey, ya. Uh. It's very baby-friendly, do, right? Do you, um, do you, like, change the lyrics? Do you, like, I like the way you rake it? No diggity. Oh, you could do whatever you want. I, the thing is, once you get to the verses, it all falls apart, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And, but also, you probably don't know the verses anyway, so that has a kind of a win-win <laughs> situation. <laughs> but if I'm singing, like, if I'm singing, you know, uh, <laughs> singing No Diggity <laughs> to my baby <laughs> while I'm while I'm raking leaves and bagging them in bags, uh, you know, that has, I think that has a, uh, a decent modulation in it. But okay, so we've talked about key changes, and, and what I also want to know about is, like, other notes. Does solfege only work on what I think of as a major scale, 
right? Like a major diatonic scale. We're not talking pentatonic. We're not talking, you know, whole tone. We're not, we're not talking any of the fancy stuff or, or the non-Western stuff or the impressionistic stuff. But I know there's a whole lot of other variety in kinds of uh, scales and, and, and in particular different melodies that you can't really do in uh, – I mean, can you think of an example of a popular song that's fairly recent that you can't do in solfege if you only know – do re mi fa so la ti do sure um, uh let me talk about Billie eilish's bad guy just <laughs> <laughs> right yes, because this the- is the new this is the new <laughs> odyssey this is like the foundational canonical document which we will use to understand the rest of literature is Billie eilish's bad guy and its relationship with uh traditional western tonal harmony so in Excellent. the right yeah the, in the right the the um in, in relationship to the you know style of the the harmonic style of the 18th century europeans uh the little whistle part the little hooky whistle part goes do 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 so it has a uh it has that kind of like it's if you're super orientalist it's the snake charmer interval the the um you know augmented second uh that is that also the yeah yeah interval do 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 yeah 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 or am i i'm not doing a good job at all it is because a um because it's the same as a minor third it's enharmonically oh. equivalent to a minor third but okay, okay, it okay. it uh it kind of has a different meaning if it's between two scale degrees as opposed to, to between three scale degrees um right okay. and so it's the it's also the if you remember speaking of orientalism if you if you remember aladdin the the um <laughs> it's that do 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 that and that's between two notes of the scale those are adjacent notes they just happen to be kind of yanked apart wider than than we're used to we call it an augmented second and uh and you can't represent that interval in traditional solfege in just the seven note solfege so you need other syllables so we need to borrow so what we do generally is borrow syllables from the fixed dough system where there are different syllables for the accidentals for the the sharps and flats um right so, so wait, is there is there other than the letters are you talking about the letter system or is there another system so the no, fixed system so as, in, as okay. in the, the fixed system, right? If if you just put C there, how do you say C uh, do? How do you say do sharp? Well, you can say do sharp, and I think there are people who do. I think there are traditions that do, but you also could say uh, do D, right? Okay. And if you're doing D flat, do you say re flat? Well, you could say re ra. Right to get okay. to get down. Um, me so D and Ra in that context of the well-tempered clavier or what have you would be the same. Would be the same note. That okay. yeah, exactly. Okay. In in sort of perfect in you know mathematically perfect tuning, not really, but like uh, or I mean, there are different mathematically perfect tunings, but in in the tuning system we use, they are what we call inharmonically equivalent. Yeah. Okay. So do D and that's, and that's in the stat, that's in the stationary dough or the static dough. Yeah. The Sounds fixed, like a yoga pose. The okay, stat, the stat, right. Exactly. Speaking of okay. orientalism, the, the, uh, <laughs> the whole. <laughs> I'm imagining you with like a Groucho Marx grease mustache, yeah. like lagging a cigar as you say, say that. This, right? Say if you know what, if you wrote orientalism down on your sheet of paper at the beginning of the. <laughs> It'll the give be- you partial credit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been discussing with your, with your son? Uh, orientalism, what do you mean? Oh, I've been teaching him the riddle of steel from Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> See, James Earl Jones is a snake, snake king wizard, right? <laughs> he's he's from this exotic cult that is decadent and 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 wealthy and powerful, and he he teaches Conan about the riddle of steel. Uh, no, 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 it's. Let's not get orientalist. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a different thing. But that, you know, that is where you're sort of familiar with it from probably like stereotypically. So, so that interval, you, you need, you need to, you know, fall back on some different syllables. So, right. Uh, so Billie Eilish's song, I would probably, uh, call say do so, do, Fi so fi me do so do fi so fi me do so you know um and so you, you gotta now I I might use those syllables 
in any key. So that's what I'm saying. You're kind of like borrowing the vocabulary of the fixedo system where the, the accidentals get, um, where the accidentals get different syllables, but kind of using them in relation to a movable dough system. And so like it, again, it, it like, it kind of becomes like these things are all tools, you know, and the important thing, the important thing is that you can communicate an idea using a set of tools that are, you know, are shared between the, like the communicator and right. the listener, you know, well, cause that's the whole point is that I'm trying to communicate here with somebody who doesn't have verbal language. Yeah. Right. And who can't control his body enough yet to gesture. I mean, I've been trying to throw the little sign language stuff at him, but uh-huh. I mean, it's it's early yet. Plus, I don't know it. Uh, so I've been just sort of messing around with what I have. Um, and it's interesting to discover. Oh, yeah. I guess in that sense, using solfege with a baby is is a very pure, uh, a pure enactment of its purpose. Right. Because you are using it as an information transmission system to somebody who, for whom you don't have other common languages. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. Okay. Okay. I got it. I got it. That's the, right. yeah. So that's, you know, but that I, I will say, you know, I've been having conversations about music recently with people just cause, cause why not? I have a friend, um, same friend actually learning, learning the t- guitar. Uh, and I made the point that like these things are, you know, the, the sort of systems that we use to talk about them, there, there are kind of physical realities, um, upon which music is based. And we talked a little bit like the, the physical properties of a vibrating string, or in the case of a trombone, a vibrating column of air, or, you know, however you make, you make music. I, I use the example of a string a lot because it's easy to visualize, you know, right. and, uh, it, cause you can draw a string sort of vibrating and kind of how that, how the kind of the bowing of the string back and forth, um, works. And it's, it's possible to like shoot it with the camera in slow motion and like really see it happening. But the, the, all the stuff that we say about music, right? Like is ex post facto, you know, and that like the, the point is the experience, you know, and, and the right way there, I mean, there is no right way, but like the right way is (laughs) to, to go and experience music, right? So like if you want to learn a new scale or something, write a melody in that scale. In fact, write like, 20 melodies, little melodies in that scale. Um, dumb melodies, bad melodies, whatever. It's not, you know, right. They're not, you're not like submitting them for review. You're just trying to feel the ins and outs of this particular thing. So if you want to know how the harmonic minor works and how it's different from the melodic minor, right? Like write a couple, write a couple little songs that, that, you know, either like do, 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 or just put little words to it if you, uh, uh, you know, if you want, if you're, if you're so inclined or, you know, set, a set a, um, uh, the, Set a, set a, a poem you know. I'm trying to think of a poem to set a poem you know to music. Whose woods are these? I think I know his house is in the village, though. You will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. To watch his woods fill up with snow. Right. Um, Gilligan's Island and Amazing Grace actually really make good <laughs> for, for ballad stanzas, agree, really right? make very good, uh, things, uh, good melodies. But, um, you know, that, that, that's how you do it. And then all of the talking that we do, Although the talking we do about it is an attempt, you know, to, to do justice to an experience, right? Or to try to kind of communicate about an experience to someone or to try to invite someone into an experience, um, that you're having. And actually it's, it is tragic, uh, probably unavoidable, but tragic that a lot of these things are used as shibboleths to exclude people from experiences that, that you're having. But the, the, like the, um, you know, I don't know the, the, like the, the tweety musings of professors of music theory should not, uh, should not stop you from enjoying Beethoven because Beethoven is, is awesome. Uh, he's metal AF as the kids say, right? And that like, you know, a lot of the musty, uh, you know, the kind of the musty or forbidding stuff will really keep you from enjoying something that is pleasurable, uh, just because you get wrapped up in the, like the second and third order, you know, ex post facto rationalizations of that thing, um, which originally have their roots in trying to, 
you know, in, in trying to kind of communicate about an experience and like all, all these things, like we, we develop these abstractions, like weird note names from Italian, from a, from a Latin chant, right. That like kind of get italicized and then get, you know, uh, messed around with in, in other ways. And that like, um, but that's not, but that's not the point. That's the map. That's not the territory, you know, and that like, uh, the, really the only way to explore the territory is to explore the territory. Uh, um, and so, so like, counterpoint, counterpoint. Yeah, and so, I mean, singing, you want to you want to flesh and, that out or finish and, it? Yeah. And so, nothing, no, nothing, right? It would be like it would be like reading to your son out of a book about music theory instead of singing him songs, right? And the point is to sing sing your kids some songs. <laughs> you know, right. That's right. that's the ultimate goal of all of this here. Right. So, okay. So, I understand what you're saying, but I do want to I want to posit at least a somewhat alternative way of thinking about it, because I understand the notion that kind of rules are a drag, uh, which is a, and, and a sort of have a certain uh, extrinsic, uh, have extrinsic costs associated with them if you internalize them too heavily. Um, and I, but but you say, oh, just write a whole bunch of melodies and a whole bunch of other keys for your son, as if that's something that I even have the beginnings of knowing how to do. Right. Like, like, like I could just, oh, th- there's a certain taking for granted in the amount of familiarity with what's possible uh, that, you know, and, and you, how do you become familiar with what's possible? Well, sure, you can do a sort of uh, sui generis exploration, but you can also find out what's possible by talking to other people and experiencing other things yourself. And so, you know, yeah, when I'm when I'm improvising little melodies, it is helpful to know frameworks to improvise within because well, a i'm tired and and b like i'm focused on a whole bunch of other stuff but see i've never done this before i've never i've never tried to sing to a baby in this way for this long and 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 so i reach for what i can reach for and so the notion on one hand i so i'm not saying that it's invalid i'm saying i think that, that both viewpoints here are valid but i want to make sure that because what you're doing when you're when you're trying to in my mind at least and i know that this isn't popular but in my mind, when you try to expose a young mind to a new system, systematic way of thinking, right, a new system of thinking, uh, which in this case is, you know, the, the idea of notes, right, and, and, that, notes, and that notes are a thing, um, you're hopefully trying to inspire a sense of wonder in them that if they were to go down this path, they would find more stuff, right? Uh, I would even perhaps uh, frame it in the context of um, – if you were to frame it in the context of uh, what productivity, right? If you really wanted to make it seem um, instrumental in that regard, you might think of it as a uh, as, as a as a mental map, right? Mm. As as a, the idea that like um, it's it can be it can be hard it can be hard to figure out what to focus on in an arena of kind of chaotic stimulus where many many things are available to look at if you don't have a mental map of what it is that you're trying to do at least on some level. And and it is it, I, I find it exciting to encounter new mental maps uh, because it's like, OK, this is the sort of this is the, the tip of a proverbial iceberg. And I know that there's a lot more here. And of course, I have to go into it with the foreknowledge from past experience in many other degrees, not to take any particular mental map as the be all end all. And that there are, of course, going to be a whole bunch of other competing mental maps, not even competing, but just parallel. Perhaps they intersect. Perhaps they don't. Uh, mental maps, uh, they probably intersect because they're all related. If they're all related to similar experiences, right? Um, you know, you can, you can look at a song in a whole bunch of different ways. You can sing a whole bunch of different kinds of songs. Um, I just, I don't know. I, sure, I don't but you have, entirely but give up. Yeah. I, I totally, I totally have you, but you have actually a framework, uh, within which to improvise. Like I, I think rules are awesome. If you think, yeah. as I think that creativity is a, a type, a variety of problem solving, right? Like, uh, rules are awesome. Rules are actually what, what set you free because it means you can work in a, you know, you can work in a constrained space rather than having the entire universe at your disposal, which is paralyzing. So the, right. the, like the, um, uh, uh, Anne Lamott in Bird by Bird, uh, <laughs> callback talks, talks about the, the one inch pink- COVID greatest hits bucket is <laughs> yeah. Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird. It's really emerged as a standout during these uh, tough really, times. Yeah. We really, and un- unprecedented times have led to unprecedented 
Simpsons and Lamont references. <laughs> we should do it. We should get a, we should find it and, uh, and read it and do an episode on it with a, an episode with homework. But she talks about like, if you're stuck writing, uh, take a one inch picture frame, you know, and put it around some aspect of your, of your topic and write about what you can see in that, in that one inch picture frame. Like in the, the metaphor of like, um, uh, the metaphor of like constraining of, of a spatial constraint, right? And you have one, uh, which is do re mi fa so la ti do. Yeah, right? that's what I got, man. Yeah, that's and all that's, I have. That, and you know what? It's, it, well, it's inf- I mean, it's infinite. Like that's in terms of like teaching, teaching your son that like there is music for him. Like there's, there is infinite music because music is an experience. You know, there is like, well, it, it's funny. We were talking about this with Jordan once, right? Like, and, and he, he has a different kind of take on it, which is that like the, he, he is like the underlying relationships are the, are the important thing, uh, rather than any instance, right? So he'd rather read a score of a symphony than than maybe listen to a bunch of recordings of the symphony. Totally valid, but that's that's like at, at that point your contemplation is the the experience, and that is sort of inexhaustible. But like if you're gonna like play a song, you know, music because music is experience. It's like meditation, right? Like the point of meditation is to like be in experience without like discursively, without like kind of discursively commenting on it, you know. And you can do it forever because there's always more time there's always more experience you know there's like there's always a next moment and there's always sort of a next moment in music too so it so it is but like in terms of like in terms of a constraint you know put like three notes together you know uh you know, uh, do me so is is easy right like or so do me da ba ba right and like all all of the all of a sudden you know you have a little you have a little problem that you can work your way out of you know that like just put 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 some stuff together put some poop together and see how it uh he has no problem with that he works on that day in and day out this is his job it's you know he's supremely gifted at it i imagine um he gives it he gives it 110 percent by which I mean, it seems like more comes out than could possibly fit inside of his body sometimes. <laughs> that is a common experience. Could I possible think. have gone in, but the the yeah the the um you know and and so too and so too are the seven simple notes uh, overflowing with possibility. More melodies come out of those notes than you could possibly imagine. Uh, possibly imagine going in. Now, Matt, you had said you had a question for me, too. <laughs> we're going to have to leave it as an exercise for the oh, reader. I, I do need to take up all the we're, time. Because we're at, we're at an hour, and my question is, how do I play chess? Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, so we might have to leave that one for a different, uh, we might have to leave that one for a different episode. But I will, I will say that, like, as you have been sort of, uh, given your kind of the particular circumstances of living with a new baby and living in this pandemic time and like how you have kind of fallen back on Solfege as a way of, of communicating, I have, I have fallen back on, uh, you know, middle brow, middle brow entertainment about uh about chess and uh the so i watched the queen's gambit is what is what i'm saying and i sort of like um i like uh i put it together with my my you know great love for the the affable british gentleman um solving sudokus on my favorite uh my new favorite youtube channel uh that i started watching in the in the pandemic and i started doing more puzzle type things um and i i guess so i i'm sort of i'm really am diving into it more than i should given given that we are kind of at our time but that like um you know that the uh the the, the problem i've had with a lot of puzzles um, is that there's a heavy visual component to them. And I'm not, I'm a musician. I'm not a, I'm not a visual processor, you know? Mm-hmm. And that like, so I, I find even the, just the very simple nine by nine grid of a Sudoku board, like difficult 
to traverse sometimes because I'll just miss things, you know, obvious things that when pointed out to me, it's like, oh, yeah, well, and then the logic is blah, blah, blah. And I don't even mean hard logic. I mean, like, no, there's a nine there. There's a nine over in the corner that your eyes are just not taking in. And like, you're like, you know, baffled about which two squares the nine is going to go. And well, it's easy. There's a nine right over there. Oh, yeah, of course I, of course I know that. So I don't, I don't, um, you know, and I, I use Sudoku apps that have the like the BS cheating features on where they like highlight the, you know, the rolling column that a number is, uh, uh, that a number is in. And, and so like one of the big barriers, um, in terms of, in terms of playing chess, which I like, I feel like I kind of understand kinesthetically a little bit in terms of like development and pressure, you know, as kind of like systems of kind of pressure and counterpoise is that there's such a heavy visual element to it. And that is, that is opaque to me, um, to use a, to use a visual metaphor. So I was going to ask you in the second half of our podcast, uh, if you could help me, uh, you know, because I know you are a, a, you know, a good and I don't know, you probably would not call yourself good, but you're much, much better than me, uh, of a At one point I characterize myself as an intermediate level chess player. Yeah. Uh, I'm very rusty. I'm getting back into it after a long absence, but like at one point I was pretty decent. Okay. So, well, Um, we're going to have to, so that there, there's a preview of coming attraction. I will give you two tips. Two tips. So the first tip is a real tip, which is to always remember that the person who wins the chess match is the one who makes the second to last terrible mistake. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And like the other person is also going to make mistakes. So don't necessarily feel like you always have to be perfect, especially if you're not playing people who are super, super good. Uh, A lot of it is waiting for the other person to screw up and then taking advantage of it. And the other one, and this is really the big secret. This is the the way that you can beat. The effectiveness of the strategy I'm about to tell you is going to be unaffected by whether you're playing a grandmaster, whether you're playing a, a rank amateur. This is something that will work equally well on anybody, which is to always remember that there are four ways to lose a game of chess. Uh-huh. Right? You can get checkmated, right, which means that you – Put the king in check when there is uh, no way to move the king, interpose, or remove the checking piece, right? Uh, you can get che- you can apply checkmate. You can get checkmated and lose. You can resign and lose. You can give up. You can run out of time, or you can upset the board. So all you have to do to win every game of chess you're ever in is figure out a way to induce the other player to upset the board. Flip the pieces, maybe uninstall the app that they're playing on by accident, right? Like knock (laughs) over a lamp, right? If you can get them to fly into some sort of self-destructive rage, that's often easier than memorizing a bunch of openings or applying a bunch of tactics. So I would highly advise if you're going to be playing against really top flight, like international masters and grandmasters, your best shot would be figure out how to get them to flip the table. To to flip the to flip the table over. (laughs) That's interesting. You are flip the table they lose you are playing you would think a... that you would lose you would think that if they flip the table you would lose but it actually works the other way well that would be that would be a one hell of a prisoner's dilemma <laughs> but the the like um it's interesting two two observations one is that i guess it is really true that you are playing the opponent and not playing the board abstractly right like you are playing the opponent playing the board you are trying to get the opponent to flip over the table that is the main goal of chess and the other thing is that like i'm i am in in great confusion because uh in searching for bobby fisher uh ben kingsley says here let me help you out and then sweeps knocks all the pieces onto the floor and yes. you know little josh waits can kind of looks at them quizzically uh and uh and then figures it out so in that case upsetting the board was the way of uh was actually the way of of the other guy winning i you know i don't know it's, uh, yeah so you it's, know the art of losing isn't hard to master <laughs> This has been the Overthinking It podcast. Thank you, Pete. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with, with chess tips, apparently, or, uh, sure. or, we or some, chess tips next week or sure. something is something else. Um, but, uh, till then, please. I've got a million of them. I, I believe it. All, all different ways. It's like Schopenhauer's, you know, the, 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 the ways to argue in bad faith to the ways to get your opponent to, to flip over the board insult their mother suggest that they're ugly
The, you know, that's, that's very basic, Matt. Oh, really. got it. Okay. <laughs> you got to start. You got to start by playing a whole bunch of very ill-advised gambits, and then you start <laughs> misquoting Gandalf, and then you've got him. Ah, <laughs> uh, right. That uh, like that troll meme. It's like you know, as Dumbledore said, "You shall not pass." Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't deserve.